0: Act one of the Good Natured Man This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Good Natured Man by Oliver Goldsmith. Act one. Scene An apartment in Young Honeywood's house. Enter Sir William Honeywood and Jarvis.
1: Good Jarvis, make no apologies for this honest bluntness.
2: Fidelity like yours is the best excuse for every freedom. I can't help being blunt, and very angry, too, when I hear you talk of disinheriting so good, so worthy a young gentleman as your nephew, my master. All the world loves him. Say, rather, that he loves all the world. That is his fault. I'm sure there is no part of it more dear to him than you are, though he has not seen you since he was a child. What
1: signifies
2: his affection to me? OR HOW CAN I BE
1: PROUD OF A PLACE IN A HEART WHERE EVERY SHARPER AND coxcomb FIND AN EASY ENTRANCE?
2: I GRANT YOU THAT HE IS RATHER TOO GOOD NATURED, THAT HE'S TOO MUCH EVERY MAN'S MAN, THAT HE LAUGHS THIS MINUTE WITH ONE, AND CRIES THE NEXT WITH ANOTHER. BUT WHOSE INSTRUCTIONS MAY HE THANK FOR ALL THIS? NOT MINE, SURE
1: my letters to him during my employment in italy taught him only that philosophy which might prevent
2: not defend his errors faith begging your honour's pardon i am sorry they taught him any philosophy at all it has only served to spoil him this same philosophy is a good horse in the stable but an errant jade on a journey for my own part whenever i hear him mention the name on it I'm always sure he's going to play the fool. Don't let us ascribe his faults
1: to his philosophy, I entreat you. No, Jarvis, his good nature arises rather from his fears of offending the importunate than his desire of making the deserving happy.
2: What it arises from, I don't know. But to be sure, everybody has it that asks it.
1: Aye, or that does not ask it. I have been now for some time a concealed spectator of his follies,
2: and find them as boundless as his dissipation. And yet, Faith, he has some fine name or other for them all. He calls his extravagance generosity, and his trusting everybody universal benevolence. It was but last week he went security for a fellow whose face he scarcely knew— and that he called an act of exalted uh, m- m- munificence, munificence. Uh, yeah, that was the name he gave it. And upon that I proceed, as my last effort,
1: though with very little hopes to reclaim him. That very fellow has just absconded, and I've taken up the security. Now, my intention is to involve him in fictitious distress before he has plunged himself into real calamity, to arrest him for that very debt to clap an officer upon him, and then let him see which of his friends will come to his relief.
2: Well, if I could but anyway see him thoroughly vexed, every groan of his would be music to me. Yet, Faith, I believe it impossible. I have tried to fret him myself every morning these three years. But instead of being angry, he sits as calmly to hear me scold as he does to his hairdresser."
1: We must try him once more, however, and I'll go this instant to put my scheme into execution. And I don't despair of succeeding, as, by your means, I can have frequent opportunities of being about him without being known. What a pity it is, Jarvis, that any man's good will to others should produce so much neglect of himself as to require correction. Yet we must touch his weakness with a delicate hand. There are some faults, so nearly allied to excellence that we can scarce weed out the vice without eradicating the virtue exit
2: well go thy way sir william honeywood it is not without reason that the world allows thee to be the best of men but here comes his hopeful nephew the strange good-natured foolish open-hearted and yet all his faults are such that one loves him still the better for them
0: Enter Honeywood.
3: Well, Jarvis, what messages from my friends this morning? You
2: have no friends. Well, from my acquaintance, then.
0: Jarvis, pulling out bills.
2: A few of our usual cards of compliment, uh, that's all. This bill from your tailor, this from your mercer, and, and this from the little broker in Crooked Lane. He says he has been at a great deal of trouble to get back the money you borrowed.
3: That I don't know, but I am sure we were at a great deal of trouble in getting him to lend it. He has lost all patience. Then he has lost a very good
2: thing. There's that uh, ten guineas you were sending to the poor gentleman and his children in the fleet. Uh, I believe that would stop his mouth for a while at least.
3: Aye, Jarvis, but what will fill their mouths in the meantime? Must I be cruel because he happens to be importunate, and to relieve his avarice, leave them to insupportable distress?
2: death, sir the question now is how to relieve yourself yourself haven't i reason to be out of my senses when i see things going at sixes and sevens
3: whatever reason you may have for being out of your senses i hope you'll allow that i am not quite unreasonable for continuing in mine
2: you are the only man alive in your present situation that could do so everything upon the waist there's miss Eichland and her fine fortune-gone already and upon the point of being given to your rival. I'm no
3: man's rival.
2: Your uncle in Italy preparing to disinherit you, your own fortune almost spent, and nothing but pressing creditors, false friends, and a pack of drunken servants that your kindness has made unfit for any other family. Then they have the more occasion for being in mine. What will you have done with him that I caught stealing your plate in the pantry? In the fact, I caught him in the fact.
3: In the fact? If so, I really think that we should pay him his wages, and turn him off.
2: He shall be turned off at Tiburn the dog. We'll hang him, if it be only to frighten the rest of the family.
3: No, Jarvis, it's enough that we have lost what he has stolen. Let us not add to it the loss for a fellow creature.
2: Very fine well here was the footman just now to complain of the butler he says he does most work and ought to have most wages
3: that's but just though perhaps here comes the butler to complain of the footman
2: Ah, that's the way with them all from the scullion to the privy councillor if you have a bad master they keep quarrelling with him if they have a good master they keep quarrelling with one another
0: enter butler
4: drunk sir i'll not stay in the family with jonathan you must part with him or part with me that's the ex ex exposition of the matter sir
3: full and explicit enough but what's his fault good philip
4: sir he's given to drinking sir and i shall have my morals corrupted by keeping such company (laughs) <laughs> he has such a diverting way.
2: Oh, quite amusing.
4: I find my ones are going, sir, and liquors don't go without mouths, sir. I hate a drunkard, sir.
3: Well, well, Philip, I'll hear you upon that another time. So go to bed now.
2: The bed. Let him go to the devil.
4: Begging your honour's pardon, and begging your pardon, Master Jarvis. I'll not go to bed, nor to the devil neither. I have enough to do to mind my cellar. I forgot, Your Honour, Mr. Crocker is below. I came on purpose to tell you. Why didn't you show him up, Blackhead? Show him up, sir, with all my heart, sir. Up or down all's one to me.
0: Exit.
2: Ah, uh, we have one or the other of that family in this house from morning till night he comes on the old affair i suppose the match between his son that's just returned from paris and miss eichland the young lady he's guardian to
3: perhaps so mr croker knowing my friendship for the young lady has got it into his head that i can persuade her to what i please
2: ah if you loved yourself but half as well as she loves you we should soon see a marriage that would set all things to right again
3: love me sure jarvis you dream no no her intimacy with me never amounted to more than friendship mere friendship that she is the most lovely woman that ever warmed the human heart with desire i own but never let me harbor a thought of making her unhappy by a connection with one so unworthy her merits as i am no jarvis It shall be my study to serve her, in spite of my wishes, and to secure her happiness, though it destroys my own.
2: Oh, ever the like, I want patience.
3: Besides, Jarvis, though I could obtain Miss Richland's consent, do you think I could succeed with her guardian or Mrs. Croker, his wife, who, though both very fine in their way, are yet a little opposite in their dispositions, you
2: know? Opposite enough, heaven knows. The very reverse of each other. She all laugh and no joke. He always complaining and never sorrowful. A fretful poor soul that has a new distress for every hour in the four and twenty.
3: Hush, hush, he's coming up. He'll hear you.
2: On whose voice is a passing bell.
3: Well, well, go do.
2: A raven that bodes nothing but mischief. A coffin and a crossbones a bundle of rue a sprig of deadly nightshade
0: a honeywood stopping his mouth at last pushes him off exit jarvis
3: i must own my old monitor is not entirely wrong there is something in my friend Croker's conversation that entirely depresses me his very mirth is quite an antidote to all gaiety and his appearance has a stronger effect on my spirits than an undertaker's shop mr Croker, this is such a satisfaction
0: enter Croker.
3: a pleasant morning to mr
5: honeywood and many of them how is this you look most shockingly to-day my dear friend i hope this weather does not affect your spirits to be sure if this weather continues i say nothing but god send we be all
3: better this day three months i heartily concur in the wish though i own not in your apprehensions maybe not indeed what
5: signifies what weather we have in a country going to ruin like ours taxes rising and trade falling money flying out of the kingdom and jesuits swarming into it i know at this time no less than a hundred and twenty-seven jesuits between charing cross and temple bar
3: the jesuits will scarce pervert you or me i should hope
5: maybe not indeed what signifies whom they pervert in a country that has scarce any religion to lose i am only afraid for our wives and daughters i have no apprehension for the ladies i assure you maybe not indeed what signifies whether they be perverted or no the women in my time were good for something i have seen a lady dressed from top to toe in their own manufactures formerly but nowadays the devil a thing of their own manufactures about them
3: except their faces but however these faults may be practised abroad you don't find them at home either with mrs Croker, or olivia or miss richland
5: the best of them will never be canonised for a saint when she is dead by the bye my dear friend i don't find this match between miss richland and my son much relished either by one side or the other i thought otherwise ah mr Anneywood, a little of your fine serious advice to the young lady might go far i know she has a very exalted opinion of your understanding
3: but would not that be usurping an authority that more properly belongs to yourself
5: my dear friend You know but a little of my authority at home. People think, indeed, because they see me come out in a morning thus, a pleasant face, and to make my friends merry, that all's well within. But I have cares that would break a heart of stone. My wife has so engrossed upon every one of my privileges that I am now no more than a mere lodger in my own house.
3: But a little spirit exerted on your side might perhaps restore your authority
5: no though i had the spirit of a lion i do rouse sometimes but what then always haggling and haggling a man is tired of getting the better before his wife is tired of losing the victory
3: it's a melancholy consideration indeed that our chief comforts often produce our greatest anxieties and that an increase of our possessions is but an inlet to new disquietudes
5: ah my dear friend these were the very words of poor dick tolfell to me not a week before he made way with himself indeed mr honeywood i never see you but you put me in mind of poor dick ha there was a merit neglected for you and so true a friend we loved each other for 30 years and yet he never asked me to lend him a single farthing
3: pray what could induce him to commit so rash an action at last
5: i don't know some people were malicious enough to say it was keeping company with me because we used to meet now and then and open our hearts to each other to be sure i loved to hear him talk and he loved to hear me talk poor dear dick he used to say that croaker rhymed to joker and we used to laugh poor dick going to cry his fate affects me Ha! He grows sick of this miserable life, where we do nothing but eat and grow hungry, dress and undress, get up and lie down, while reason, that should watch like a
3: nurse by our side, falls as fast asleep as we do. To say a truth, if we compare that part of our life which is to come by that which we have passed, the prospect is hideous. Life, at the greatest and best, is but a forward child,
5: that must be humoured and coaxed a little till it falls asleep
3: and then all the care is over very true sir nothing can exceed the vanity of our existence but the folly of our pursuits we wept when we came into the world and every day tells us why
5: ha my dear friend it is a perfect satisfaction to be miserable with you my son Leontin shan't lose the benefit of such a fine conversation i will just step home for him i am willing to show him so much seriousness in one scarce older than himself and what if i bring my last letter to the gazetteer on the increase and progress of earthquakes it will amuse us i promise you i there prove how the late earthquake is coming round to pay us another visit from london to lisbon from lisbon to canary islands from the canary islands to Palmyra, from Palmyra to constantinople and so from constantinople back to london again
3: exit poor Croker, his situation deserves the utmost pity i shall scarce recover my spirits these three days sure to live upon such terms is worse than death itself and yet when i consider my own situation a broken fortune a hopeless passion friends in distress the wish and not the power to serve them
0: Enter butler.
4: More company below, sir. Mrs. Croker and Miss Richland. Shall I show them up? But they're showing up themselves. Exit.
6: Enter Mrs. Croker and Miss Richland.
7: You're always in such good
6: spirits. We have just come, my dear Honeywood, from the auction. There was the old deaf dowager, as usual, bidding like a fury against herself, and then so curious in antiques, herself the most genuine piece of antiquity in the whole collection.
3: Excuse me, ladies, if some uneasiness from friendship makes me unfit to share in this good humour. I know you'll pardon me. I vow he seems as melancholy
6: as if he had taken a dose of my husband this morning. Well, if Richland here can pardon you, I must.
7: You would seem to insinuate, madam. That I have particular reason for being disposed to refuse it.
6: Whatever I insinuate, my dear, don't be so ready to wish an explanation.
7: I own I should be sorry Mr. Honeywood's long friendship and mine should be misunderstood.
3: There's no answering for others, madam, but I hope you'll never find me presuming to offer more than the most delicate friendship may readily allow
7: and I shall be prouder of such a tribute from you than the most passionate professions from others.
3: My own sentiments, madam? Friendship is a disinterested commerce between equals, love an abject intercourse between tyrants and slaves.
7: And, without a compliment, I know none more disinterested or more capable of friendship than Mr.
6: Honeywood. And indeed, I know nobody that has more friends, at least among the ladies, Miss Fruz, Miss Oddbody, And Miss Winterbottom praise him in all companies. And as for Miss Biddy Bundle, she's his professed admirer.
7: Indeed, an admirer? I did not know, sir, you were such a favourite there. But is she seriously so handsome? Is she the mighty thing talked of?
3: The town, madam, seldom begins to praise a lady's beauty till she's beginning to lose it.
6: Smiling. But she's resolved never to lose it, it seems for as her natural face decays her skill improves in making the artificial one well nothing diverts me more than one of these fine old dressy things who thinks to conceal her age by everywhere exposing her person sticking herself up in the front of a side-box trailing through a minuet at Almack's and then in the public gardens looking for all the world like
3: one of the painted ruins of the place every age has its admirers ladies while you perhaps are trading among the warmer climates of youth there ought to be some to carry on a useful commerce in the frozen latitudes beyond fifty
7: but then the mortification they must suffer before they can be fitted out for traffic i have seen one of them fret a whole morning at a hairdresser when all the fault was her
3: face and yet island gage has carried that at last to a very good market this good-natured town madam has husbands like spectacles to fit every age, from fifteen to four score. Well, you're a dear good
6: natured creature, but you know you're engaged with us this morning upon a strolling party. I want to show Olivia the town and the things. I believe I shall have business for you for the whole day. I am sorry, madam. I have an appointment with Mr Croker, which it is impossible to put off. What? With my husband? Then I'm resolved to take no refusal. Nay, I protest you must. You know I never laugh so much
3: as with you. Why, if I must, I must. I'll swear you have put me into such spirits. Well, do you find me jests and I'll find laugh, I promise you. We'll wait for the chariot in the next room.
0: Exeunt. Enter Leontine and Olivia.
8: There they go, thoughtless and happy. My dearest Olivia, what would I give to see you capable of sharing in their amusements and as cheerful as they are?
9: how my leontine how can i be cheerful when i have so many terrors to oppress me the fear of being detected by this family and the apprehensions of a censuring world when i must be detected
8: the world my love what can it say at worst it can only say that being compelled by a mercenary guardian to embrace a life you disliked you formed a resolution of flying with the man of your choice that you confided in his honour and took refuge in my father's house the only one where you could remain without censure
9: But consider, Leontine, your disobedience and my indiscretion. You are being sent to France to bring home a sister, and instead of a sister bringing home...
8: One dearer than a thousand sisters. One that I am convinced will be equally dear to the rest of the family when she comes to be known.
9: And that, I fear, will shortly be.
8: Impossible, till we ourselves think proper to make this discovery. My sister, you know, has been with her aunt at Lyons since she was a child. And you find every creature in the family takes you for her.
9: But mayn't she write? Mayn't her aunt write?
8: Her aunt scarce ever writes, and all my sister's letters are directed to me.
9: But won't your refusing Miss Richland, for whom you know the old gentleman intends you, create a suspicion?
8: There, there's my master stroke. I have resolved not to refuse her. Nay, an hour hence I have consented to go with my father to make her an offer of my heart and fortune.
9: Your heart and fortune!
8: Don't be alarmed, my dearest. Can Olivia think so meanly of my honour or my love, as to suppose I could ever hope for happiness from any but her? No, my Olivia. Neither the force, nor, permit me to add, the delicacy of my passion, leaves any room to suspect me. I only offer Miss Richland a heart I am convinced she will refuse, as I am confident that, without knowing it, her affections are fixed upon Mr. Honeywood. Mr. Honeywood!
9: Mr. Honeywood! You'll excuse my apprehensions, but when your merits come to be put in the balance—
8: You view them with too much partiality. However, by making this offer, I show a seeming compliance with my father's command, and perhaps upon her refusal I may have his consent to choose for myself.
9: Well, I submit. And yet, my Leontine, I own I shall envy her, even your pretended addresses. I consider every look, every expression of your esteem, as due only to me— this is folly perhaps i allow it but it is natural to suppose that merit which has made an impression on one's own heart may be powerful over that of another
8: don't my life's treasure don't let us make imaginary evils when you know we have so many real ones to encounter at worst you know if miss richland should consent my father refuses pardon it can but end in a trip to scotland and
0: enter Croker.
8: where have you been boy i have been seeking you my
5: friend Honeywood here has been saying such comfortable things. ha, He is an example indeed. Where is he? I left him here,
8: sir. I believe you may see him and hear him too in the next room. He's preparing to go out with the ladies. Good gracious,
5: can I believe in my eyes and my ears? I am struck dumb with this vivacity and stunned with the loudness of his laugh. Was there ever such a transformation? A
0: laugh behind the scenes, Croker mimics it.
5: Ha ha ha! There it goes. A plague take their balderdash. Yet, I could expect nothing less when my precious wife was off the party. On my conscience, I believe she could spread a
8: hoarse laugh through the fuse of tabernacle. Since you find so many objections to a wife, sir, how can you be so earnest in recommending one to me?
5: i have told you and tell you again boy that miss richland's fortune must not go out of the family one may find comfort in the money whatever one does in the wife
8: but sir though in obedience to your desire i am ready to marry her it may be possible she has no inclination to me
5: i'll tell you once for all how it stands a good part of miss richland's large fortune consists in a claim upon government which my good friend mr lofty assures me the treasury will allow one half of this she is to forfeit by her father's will in case she refuses to marry you so if she rejects you we seize half her fortune if she accepts you we seize the whole and a fine girl into the bargain but sir if you will but listen to reason come then produce your reasons i tell you i am fixed determined so now produce your reasons when i am determined i always listen to reason because it can then do no harm
8: you have alleged that a mutual choice was the first requisite in matrimonial happiness
5: well and you have both of you a mutual choice she has her choice to marry you or lose half her fortune and you have your choice to marry her or pack out of doors without any fortune at all.
8: An only son, sir, might expect more indulgence.
5: An only father, sir, might expect more obedience. Besides, has not your sister here, that never disobliged me in her life, as good a right as you? He is a sad dog, Livy, my dear, and would take all from you. But he shan't, I tell you, he shan't. For you shall have your share.
9: Dear sir, I wish you'd be convinced that I can never be happy in any addition to my fortune, Which is taken from his.
5: Well, well, it's a good child. So say no more. But come with me, and we shall see something that will give us a great deal of pleasure. I promise you. Old Ruggins, the currycomb maker, lying in state. I am told he makes a very handsome corpse and becomes his coffin prodigiously he was an intimate friend of mine and these are friendly things we ought to do for each other Exeunt.
0: End of act one